having a hard four-year church um, body here and um, taking care of what God um, has um, given us. I'm also in working on developing a welcome packet, just something we can give visitors um, that kind of explain some of the ministries of the church as well as um, um, things like distinctives of our church uh, and frequently asked questions like there's some questions that um, I'll often kind of get asked um, like some people ask oh what kind of Baptist church are you? Are you Southern Baptist, American Baptist, um, Conservative Baptist and so um, we're Independent Baptist church and so I'm just kind of explaining what that is and stuff that we are not part of like in denomination. We're Baptists in our doctrine, but not in this denomination. That there's not a denominational headquarters that we look to to make decisions for us. We're self-governing under the leadership of Jesus Christ. And so just try, trying to make it simple way to explain that in like a welcome packet and other info. So just being prayers we um, worked on that. And if we have any ideas that can great for a visitor to note um, in the welcome packet. Let me know. You know I appreciate the feedback I've been given on different things um, over the last couple of months and we've already been able to make different improvements in different areas. So definitely appreciate feedback um, from the church standpoint. Uh, principles of the gospel. Uh, principles of the gospel, you know, it's our big for the years that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his mission. And then I'll be praising to the Father, and he says, as you have sent me, even so send I them. Now that is the same mission Jesus has given us, is to preach and to teach, to share uh, the gospel with others, that they may hear the gospel. Bible says, how shall they believe except they hear? And um, um, the hearing of the word of God, that faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. And so just going to talk about some different principles of the gospel. And uh, verses, we see man's problem. Man's problem is that all have sin. You know, you read in the scriptures where the one um, man tells Jesus, um, he goes, hey, I've um, kept all the commandments from my youth. Um, I've observed them, and um, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus points out the one sin that he knows that this man struggles with, and which was covetousness. And um, he goes, okay, go and take all your goods and sell them or give them to the poor. And and then the man wept bitterly and went on his way. And what Jesus was illustrating is that all men fall short. You know what? We can't keep the law to our salvation. If we could, if we could obey God's law perfectly, then we wouldn't need a Savior. If we wouldn't be a sinner. We would have no need um, for a Christ. But man's problem is that all have sinned. And so the law cannot save, and that's where Jesus can save. Um, and so all have sinned, and so before an individual can be saved, he must understand the need 
uh, his need for a Savior. You know, if, if man does not understand he's a sinner, then what does he need to be saved from? You know, he has talked to someone, hey, do you know if you're saved? You know, if some of your mind might be like, what do I need to be saved for? I'm fine. And so, um, before an individual can be saved, he must understand his need for a Savior. Uh, Romans 3 10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And there's none. Now, of course, we see the exception as Jesus Christ. And that's what the context is showing that with the exception of Jesus, there is none righteous. Romans 3 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so when we're presenting the gospel to people, we gotta uh, mention this. You know, sometimes if we're going house to house, and I have a partner with me, going with me, and we're talking to people, and, and if the Lord opens an opportunity to get more into a discussion um, instead of just an invitation, you know, it will talk about how we're all sinners. And I'll say, especially this person, the partner I go with. And so that will just kind of give a little bit of chuckle some. Uh, hopefully that person doesn't get mad at me. Um, but um, no, the thing is, you know, when you look at our, all of ourselves, it's the chief of sinners. You know, we look at our sin, but we need to explain that to people that all are with sin. Um, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Ecclesiastes 7.20. Likewise, it is where there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Now, why some churches will teach that you can arise to the point where you no longer sin, that you come to where you have sinless perfection, I have no idea. They do not get it in the Bible. Now, as far as how what God accounts to us, okay, our spirit does not sin. You know, when we're born again, the spirit does not sin. It cannot sin. But our flesh that we still live in our soul, our, and our mind, our conscience, can still sin. And that's where Paul talks about it being a battle between the flesh and the spirit. That the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that we still continue to struggle with sin. Now, once we're saved, we should get a point where we're no longer living therein is our lifestyle. That um, it should become more of an exception than the rule, but we are still in the flesh, and so we will struggle with sin. And so in this life, no matter how long you go to this church or go to another church, you are still going to be a sinner. Now again, that's not our identity in the sense of in Christ. In Christ, we are made perfect. Okay, our spirit again is made perfect. When he sees us, he's not looking down upon the sin. He sees Christ's righteousness. And so in that sense, we are no longer sinners. But in our flesh, we are still sinners. Did I just confuse you all? And so just talk to me afterwards. I know it can be a little bit confusing, but there's a distinction between the spirit and the flesh. And so in the flesh, we all still continue to struggle with sin. Um, and now as you grow in the Lord, um, you may sin less, but you won't be sinless until we see the Lord face to face 
and he changes, transforms our body to be like in fashion unto his glorified body. Isaiah 64, 6 says, uh, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness, okay, this is in our righteousness, the things that we try to do that are noble, that are good, um, it says are as filthy words. So that's not even saying our works. This is saying us at our best. Our own righteousness is as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And so, he must understand his need for a Savior. He must, secondly, understand that he is a sinner. Because all men are born in sin. Romans 5, 12 says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Sin has separated man from God. Separated man from God. And the punishment of sin is separation from God. Romans 5, 18 says, Therefore is by the offense of one, Judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. And so in Adam, we have all sinned. In Christ, we receive his imputed righteousness, and our sin, Jesus takes upon himself. Uh, on the sinner, because of this, is condemned to hell. So Bible doctrine is hell isn't something that we maybe find pleasant to talk about. <clears throat> but you know what? A soul needs to recognize there's this there is sin here, and there is a punishment for sin. You know, you think about you know it, and you think it, you consider to be the worst type of criminal. You would think it was unjust for them not to pay the price, to not pay the consequences for it. The sinner is condemned to hell. John 3.18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John 3.36 he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and that he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And so, you know, Jesus said that, you know what, he is not coming to the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. And the reason is, the world is already condemned. You know, before Jesus came, <clears throat> You know what? The world is already condemned. Today, the world is already condemned without Christ. But he came not to condemn the world. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Because right now, the wrath of God already abides on them. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Jesus, who is our judge, came and became sin for us. Take took our sin upon himself. And if he is the judge, is then able to acquit us of our sin. That he is able to wash us white as snow. Man's sinful nature separates him from God, and separation leads to eternal condemnation, first into hell and then into the lake of fire. The Bible talks about Revelation, death and hell is cast into the lake of fire. Um, Jesus said originally, hell was not created for man, but for the devil and his angels, um, the, the fallen angels. And um, But by not having the Son, we are condemned already. And that's why we are to be sharing the gospel with others so that they can have hope. They can have eternal life. And um, Romans 1 talks about how man will be without excuse. That God has revealed himself through creation. That when man believes that light, that he gives more light. Um, Jesus says um, he is the light that um, entered the world and giveth to all men that um, entered the world that, that, that are born, that they eventually, God gives some light through continual refusal. There may be a time where God says, I'm done. I'm, it's, it's enough. Um, the Bible talks about how some would, would be blinded from the truth because they receive not the love of the truth in righteousness. Um, they received it not. They believe not. And so then God's Spirit does sometimes say, okay, we're done working on that person. And that's a fearful thing to consider. That maybe if the Spirit of God's working on us today, it might not the next day. Now we're to keep continuing to teach and to preach the gospel. Only God knows when he is finished um, with somebody. We're called to continue to teach and preach the gospel. And so we see God's remedy. God's remedy. In John 11, 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? It's right, we continue on. Keep going. Keep going. Way behind. Go again. So maybe you guys didn't get them written down. Hopefully you did. Okay. There we go. Right there. Okay. God's um, remedy. Um, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And um, he says, see that? Well, we were in me. <clears throat> Though he were dead, yet shall he live. Now, you know what? Our spirit is born again, um, believing on Christ, and um, then we'll never die. Our soul, our spirit will never die. And he asks a question, boy, yourself this. And so, getting to know who Jesus is, is important in our salvation and, and for us to be saved. Now, we're not going to necessarily know everything, all the details, all the attributes of God um, before we're saved. But there are some things that people need to know so they're believing on the right Jesus. You know, Galatians and Corinthians talks about um, how there's another Jesus. 
There's another gospel. There's another spirit. You know, and he said they're false or fake, uh, 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 Jesus says, or um, a devil. And um, even using the name of Christianity or using the name of Jesus, but they're not the Jesus of the Bible. Uh, the Jesus of Mormonism, for example. It is not the same Jesus that we teach and preach. You know, and some people have an imagination of what they think God is like, and that's what they need to picture who Jesus is. And so when people really know who Jesus is, it's important. Now, I'm going to be using some theological words here. They don't need to know these theological words. And they don't even really necessarily need to know all the details. But these are some good things to know. Some need to be known. And in others, it just kind of lets them know more of who God is. One that's very important is the person of Christ, his deity. Now, Jesus was not just merely an ordinary man. Now, he was a man. He became flesh. But he is also called God. Christ is called God in the scriptures. He's also called the Son of God. But he's also called God. First John 5 20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and have given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Colossians 2 9 says, For in him dwell of all the fullness of the Godhead bond. That Jesus in the flesh is the manifestation of the Godhead, the triunity of the Godhead in him bodily. John 1.14 says, And the Word, speaking of Jesus Christ, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews 1.8. <clears throat> you know, some people will ask the question, well, what about when Jesus was crucified on the cross, and he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So the witnesses will use that passage to show Jesus is not God. So you see, he's praying to his God. Okay? And as we do see, Jesus refers to his Father as God. But you see in the scriptures, it also has the Father talking about Jesus is God. In Hebrews 1.8, it says, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Right there, the Father, speaking of the Son, calling um, him God, and then it continues to go on as well um, about him being the Lord, him being the Creator. Uh, um, number two, Christ is pre-existent. You know, John 1, 1 said, in the beginning was the Word. Now, you know, Jesus was already here when the earth was created. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so when Jesus was born around 2,000 years ago, that was not his beginning. 
That was simply the start of him being in human flesh. But he was already here before the earth was created. In John 17, verse 5, Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So for them recognizing who Jesus was, when you're sharing the gospel with someone, it's important. They only know the details, like, oh, the pre-existent, but to know that Jesus is the creator. Christ is self-existent and has life-giving power. He said, for as the Father raised him up the dead and quickened of them, even so the Son quickened of whom he will. That Jesus has the power to raise people from the dead. Now he said unto Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, who was dead, wakes up. Christ is omnipotent. And now again, when you're sharing the gospel with someone, they don't need to know all these terms, omnipotent, um, the other ones we're going to go over. This is just for you to kind of learn and to grow. Um, but um, Christ is omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. That he is supreme. That he is God. He is not a lesser God. He is God. And so Christ is omnipotent. You know, Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That Jesus himself, he has all power. He has all authority. We see that his disciples were shocked that when at first um, they're, they're just sleeping in the boat and they're, not, and, and they're like, man, there's, there's, there's a storm going on and they wake him up. And Jesus says, peace, be still. And they were amazed that the winds and the sea opened. Man does not have that power. Now we do see at different moments in time, God has with his spirit enabled man to do miracles with Moses crossing the Red Sea. But again, that's God doing the work and Moses simply obeying and following God's plan. But man, no one can just say to the ocean, the waves, stop, peace, be still. His disciples recognized that Jesus had that power. So I had the power he had to feed the multitudes with just a few fish and loaves. To feed about 20,000 people. Just like that. He has that creative power. Christ is omniscient. Colossians 2 and 3 says, And you are in all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. John 16, 30, um, his disciples mentioned, who's now, are we sure that thou knowest all, now are we sure that thou knowest all things? And needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. You know, when Jesus asked questions to his disciples, it wasn't because he didn't know. 
It wasn't like he was needing to find an answer. It was to stir their mind. You know, like the Bible says, given that, um, like, he would ask a question, he goes, Jesus asked this, not because he did not know, but it was to provoke that person of thought, to consider things. Christ is omnipresent. Omnipresent. Meaning that Christ is everywhere at all times. Now, in one sense, when he was here in the flesh, his flesh was only in that location. But in spirit, Christ was able to be present everywhere. Um, in John 1, 48, Nathaniel saith unto him, Which knowest thou me? Um, Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Now, Jesus was not physically there. He was not within eyesight distance. But Jesus in spirit was already able to know what was going on because he was already present in spirit. John 3.13, Jesus said, And no man have ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, speaking of himself, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. So while Jesus was here on earth, he says, I'm already in heaven too. This is the Jesus people need to know. And they don't need to know every single one of these scriptures I gave you, but they need to know the true Jesus. Christ is our creator. John 1, 3, says all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is creator. Bible is very specific, very clear. He has made all things. And now some like Jehovah's Witnesses, what they do is they change it, they add words here to not make Jesus the original creator. They'll make it be like he made all other things. Hebrews 1.10 says, And thou, Lord, in the beginning, this is again, it's from Hebrews 1a, and then there's verse 9, and in verse 10, this is the Father speaking to the Son. It says, And thou, Lord, in the beginning, has laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. So God the Father is speaking of the Son, that he is Lord. And you know, the Bible talks about how he, the Father will have all about in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has the power to forgive sins. He said in Luke 7, 48, he said in there, thy sins are forgiven. Now, any normal man does not have the power to forgive sin. That's where it went. Um, David committed the sin of, of adultery with Bathsheba. And David repents. He doesn't say, I repent of the sin I did against Uriah or the sin I did against Bathsheba. Now, he committed a fault against him. Okay? 
Therefore, if all the Bible says confess our faults one to another. Okay, if I cause an offense to you, uh, I did you wrong, I should confess that to you. But the sin itself is against God. It may involve you, but the sin is against God. And as where David said, said it asked him, watch me of my sin. And, uh, and he says, um, the sin that I've committed only against thee. That is God that holds us account for our sin. And so man does not have the ability to forgive sin. It's like, you know, in the criminal um, department, like if you committed a crime, okay, say you committed a crime against me, okay, I may forgive you of that fall of that crime, so to speak, but the crime itself is against the state law. And so you may still go to jail for something, even if the person has forgiven you. And, and so our sin is against God. But Jesus had the power to forgive sin. Thy sin is forgiven. And the Pharisees understood this and wanted to cast stones against him. Saying, and this is blasphemy. How can thou, being a man, forgive sin? was only of me, it would be right. He wouldn't have the ability to forgive sin. But Jesus just doubles down. He goes, what is easier? To say thy sins are forgiven? And like he said this of someone that was mean, someone that couldn't walk? Or does it say, take up thy bed and walk? And the person got up and walked. Healed. And then of course they're like, wow. You know what? But yet they still wanted to cast stones in them. Jesus had the power to forgive sin. Man does not. Going to a priest, you know what? In a Catholic church or any other kind of church where maybe they have confessional, I'm not sure if the others that do, that priest has no power to forgive sin. No power at all. He cannot wash you of your sin. Your sin is not against that man. Your sin is against God, and He alone has the power to forgive sin. Christ has power over death. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believe in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Jesus had power over death, death in His own resurrection and in bringing others. The provision of Christ, His cross, Christ's work at Calvary was a work of redemption. Romans 5 8 says, But God commendeth his love towards. That word commendeth means that he showed, he proved, he demonstrated his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. That's where when you're sharing the gospel with someone, they need to know this. Yes, they are a sinner. And without Christ, the wrath of God is already upon them. That there is an eternal punishment for those that die in their sin. But even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
And when I say church, we got to be careful that we don't get a beatitude like, hey, we're holier than someone else that may be business. You know, without Christ, we would be just as lost. Jesus saved us from our sin, and thank God that he's, you've been able to grow in your walk with Christ. But every sinner that comes and visits, they need Jesus. You know, one of the messages I'll be teaching and preaching on in a few weeks after Easter, the week after Easter, it's about modesty. You know, we talk about modesty and clothing, but also of the heart. And, um, you know, as we want to strive to be modest, both male and female, say someone comes in and they're not quite that modest. You know, we're not to be looking at them and condemning them, but simply seeing, you know what? Someone else that may need Jesus. Maybe they don't know the Lord. Maybe they know him, but they just need a place, a church home, where they can continue to grow in the Word. And so we're to be reaching people. We're not trying to start an exclusive club to be completely separate from everybody. We're trying to get them all to join us in being joint heirs with Christ. That to be part of his body, to be part of his church, to reach, to seek, and to save that which was lost. As Jesus said when he was confronted, when people were like, do you know this woman's history? That she had been a prostitute, that she was a hard one. Don't you know this? If you're the son of God, you should know this stuff. And he's like, yes, I do know came to seek and to save that which was lost. The healthy don't go to the physician. Now, I guess if you're very good about your health and you set an annual exam, maybe you do. Okay? But generally speaking, the healthy does not go to the doctor. Those that are sick do. Those that are hurt, in pain, they go. And you know what? Sinners, they're hurt. They're victims of their own sin. Yes, of their own choices, but also of their nature. The devil has them captive, and Jesus came to seek and to save them, to heal them, to see them healed from their sin, to see them redeemed. And that's where you need to teach and preach that God committed his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 1, 29. This is the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saying, Behold, the Lamb of God was taken away the sin of the world. That's what Jesus came for. That's what our mission needs to be as a church. Now as a church, as fellow believers, as Christians, as people, we'll go do fun things as a church family. You know, we had a great time in our um, couple's state night in Riverwide. You know, at the fellowship, you know, at um, the food um, that we were able to enjoy. We had a good time. And so I was able to give a track to the, the waitress we have. And um, also in the teaching and preaching that those that were in the room nearby us, trying to keep the tone a little bit down, but um, rented a banquet room. Um, a reserve banquet room, and they didn't have it available um, uh, when we got there. And so they put us in the upper area, but 
all those around, if they were listening closely, um, would be able to hear the message. If they wanted to tune it out, uh, they could. But um, they got to hear the word. And the thing is, we get to do some of these fun things as a church family. We're going to the baseball game in August. They'll just have a good time of fellowship. You know, I haven't watched a baseball game in like 20 years. I'm not going for the baseball. I'm still going to have a fun time with the church family. But those things aren't our main purpose. They're not wrong. They're not bad. You know what? It's going to be good fellowship. As long as we can get in there safely with all the crime and whatnot in Seattle. But uh, those are good things. But our purpose is the church. It's not just social gatherings. And we have our follow-up mail today. Okay? Biblically, that is scriptural. You know what? Bible ties that they continue to break bread with one another. That's not always talking about communion, the Lord's table. Somebody is a church family, they broke bread, they had meals together. Okay? But again, that's not our main focus. Our main focus is to seek and to save that which was lost. And you know what? Jesus used meal times, sometimes is a means to do that. And that he would have a meal with the people. And then the Pharisees are right. How dare he meet with this sinner? And then Jesus says, you know what? The harlot uh, enters heaven much more easier than the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees are trusting in their own righteousness. Where the harlot is recognizing, yes, I'm a sinner. I need, I need Jesus. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Man has a choice. You know what we teach? We preach the word of God with them. The Holy Spirit does the work of conviction. And man has a choice to seek to continue to understand the gospel. Um, Acts 20, 21 says, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, in the realm of salvation, there is a close relationship between repentance and faith. You know, they're like two sides of the same coin. Now, this repentance does not mean that all of a sudden one stops sin. You know, there are some that will teach you must repent of your sins, that you must turn and quit sinning in order to save. If that was the case, none of us would be able to be saved. But there does need to be a repentance in regards to our sin that we recognize that this is sin. This is wrong. And we repent towards God. Okay? We repent from and, and acknowledging we are a sinner. And then we have a repentance toward God, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, when, and, and we want to see people exercise a genuine faith in Christ. You know, we're not trying to even when um, we maybe have um, occasionally like a vacation Bible school or a children's ministry. We're not trying to give, pe give people candy so they could say a prayer so they could be saved. And that's usually going to be meaningless. You know, uh, if you're just trying to say a prayer, so to speak, to get saved um, because you were getting candy, that's not salvation. And, and in actuality, it's not the prayer that's salvation either. 
It's the repentance of the heart, the faith, the belief on Jesus Christ. It's possible to get saved without even saying that the sinner's prayer, so to speak. Okay? Now, the sinner's prayer maybe is sometimes helps as a guide, um, someone to realize, to verbalize, hey, I'm a sinner. Um, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. That it can be used as a guide in that sense. But it's not the prayer that saves. It is the belief in the heart that um, is unto salvation. And so understanding the gospel, we want them to have a genuine faith. We're not trying to use um, salesmanship tricks to get people to um, convert or to say, hey, we went to this door and we got them to say a prayer. You know, if that's all this we were able to portray as, that wouldn't be that hard. It wouldn't be that hard to go to someone's house and get more numbers, so to speak, and go, hey, do you want to go to heaven? And they go, yes. Go, hey, say this prayer, and you'll go to heaven. And then they repeat that prayer. Without any knowledge, understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we want to make sure man understands the gospel. Clear understanding of the gospel that Jesus died for them, that he was buried, that he rose again. They put their faith only in him, not in their works, not in their own righteousness, but in Jesus' death and resurrection. Hebrews 11 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently uh, seek him. Genuine faith is claiming by personal choice. It's making personal your belief. It's not just believing in your daddy's religion or your mama's religion. It is believing with your own heart. My children are not saved because they grow up in the pastor's home. They're not saved because they grow up in a Christian home, a home of Christian parents. They must individually, personally, make that decision to place their faith, their belief in Jesus Christ. You know, you see, the Jewish people in Jesus' day, they thought they were saved simply because they were of Abraham's seed. They're like, we're of Abraham's seed, and we keep the law. And Jesus like, you know, I can make of these rocks Abraham's seed. You know what, that it's not by the will of man, the will of the flesh, it's not by blood that we are saved. It's not our lineage. It's not our genealogy that brings salvation to us. It's coming to a personal faith in Jesus. John 1, 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Tamayar, lineage, church, theology, where we come from, were not born of God from those, but by receiving the, uh, Jesus Christ. To them gave you power to become the sons of God. Genuine faith involves trust in Christ alone. Now, it's history when we say Christ died on. It is theology when one says Christ died on Calvary for the sins of mankind. It is salvation when one can say with all their heart and faith, Christ died on Calvary for my sins. 
and I receive Him as my Savior. I put my belief, my faith in Him. That salvation is possible to believe in history. Yeah, I believe Jesus died and not be saved. It's possible to even believe Jesus died for the sins of the world and not be saved. It's the personal faith in you personally believing that He died for your sins and that you place your faith in Him for your salvation. Some lean towards trusting in their church for salvation, but the church has no power to give salvation. We was talking with a Roman Catholic just a couple of weeks ago, and they were saying there is no salvation outside the Church of Rome. We know the Church of Rome did not die for anybody's sins. The Church of Rome has no power to save. The Baptist Church of Napoline has no power to save. Our Baptist Church did not die for your sins. Jesus alone can save you of your sins. No church has the power to save you. We are simply messengers of the gospel. It's the spirit that brings conviction, the word of God, that brings the instruction to bring conviction, and it's Jesus alone that saves the soul. But he does desire to use us as part of his mission in sharing the gospel. You know, you suppose the house is on fire and you're upstairs. And there's no way to get out by going downstairs. The only option is to freely fall out of the window where firemen are ready to catch you. In order to be safe from the fire in the house, one would have to let go totally of their faith in their house or their own ability simply to go down the stairs to save them for protection and safety. They must completely place their trust in the firemen if they fall out of the window. Clinging to that house or their own ability to try to escape another way isn't going to work. They must have faith that the firemen will be able to catch them. Now hopefully they do. That'd be a bummer if you fall and you don't. But you know, we come to Christ, Jesus isn't going to lose us. He's not going to drop us. One must release their faith in their own works, release their faith in their own church for salvation, and rely entirely on Jesus Christ for salvation. That's the message we want to give to people. That your trust isn't in our church. Your trust isn't in a denomination. Your trust is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Let's pray as we have a time of invitation and music plays. And you know, maybe pray and ask the Lord to help you to be a more effective soul winner more effective in sharing your faith and having the boldness to tell people about Jesus. I know we're ingrained by society. You know what? Just don't bother people about your faith. You just believe what you want to believe and let other people believe what they want to believe. 
And we do, okay, we do like, you know, people have a choice to believe or not believe. But we still have the obligation to share the gospel with them. And they can do what they would with it. Receive it, believe it, or reject it. That's on them. But it is on us to tell them. In the back, we have flyers for our Resurrection Sunday. Invite people for that. We have bulletin boards in the town you're in or around the post office or wherever where they allow public flyers to be posted. Post them there. Take them there. Invite your neighbors. Let them know, hey, we got breakfast at the church, and we'd love to have you stay for a celebration service. Maybe pray that people will get saved then. Church praying that every week that hey, you know, pray Lord that someone will get saved today or this week. Ask the Lord to open doors of opportunity. You know, it's mindful in that sometimes we just forget. We think if we forget to tell people about Christ, we forget to invite people to church where they'll hear the message. When you start praying for opportunities, God will reveal them to you. You'll start seeing opportunities that maybe you didn't see before. As you're praying for them, you'll see that opportunities where God just kind of helps open the conversation. And ask the Spirit of God to help you give the boldness to utilize those opportunities. Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray, Lord. Help me as a pastor to be a better witness, to be even more available to go more. And not forget about the different times we could maybe meet people, public places. Whether it be the park, whether it be we're out to eat and maybe we strike up a conversation with the table next to us. Maybe even when we're in the baseball game in Seattle, you know, people will see us as a group there, and you know, maybe we you open opportunities of conversation there. Maybe people we meet in the grocery store. Lord, help us to have the mind of Christ to seek and to save that which was lost. Appreciate it, Holy Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Grab some flyers on your way out. Again, Friday, ladies' part. Saturday, we have um, our men's breakfast, and we'll start working on the ladies' restroom.